Well, hello. I'm Dick Foth, and it's July 10th, 2022, and I have a newsflash for you. Tomorrow, Monday, it will be 101 degrees in Sumner County, Kansas. And it will be 105 degrees in Fresno County, California. If you were to get in your cars and drive eight hours south-southeast, you'll run into Sumner County, Kansas, just south of Wichita. Say, why are you telling me this? Well, because Sumner County, Kansas is the wheat capital of the world. There are more bushels per acre in Sumner County, Kansas than any place else in the world. If you go 18 hours the other direction, <clears throat> if you go west, you'll land in Fresno County, California which is the most agriculturally productive county in all of the state of California, which is a huge agricultural state. They grow 450 different kinds of crops in California. And it is also the most productive county agriculturally in all the United States of America. You say, why are you telling us this? This is a kind of a weirdo. Have you had a little thing going in your head? You, no. We're talking about God's nature, discovering his fingerprints. And the first week, we talked about this, four weeks ago we talked about the cosmos and we told you more stuff about galaxies than you ever wanted to know or could understand or I could understand. And then we had birds and then we had water last week with Pastor Jeff, <clears throat> excuse me. And this week it's fields. God's life on display. And when I say fields, I'm talking about vineyards, I'm talking about fields of corn, I'm talking about orchards, and all of those things. Crops. I want to tell you where I'm going with this. So I'm going to give you the summary at the front end. So like if you're tired and want to go get breakfast or brunch, you can slide out right after this sentence, okay? So when we read the book about God's nature, he, he uses metaphors about us that capture what nature is telling us. So essentially, in the book, it says <clears throat> that we are the soil in which God plants the kingdom of God. Our hearts are the soil, right? And that when that happens, then we become farmers so we can plant and look for a harvest. So that's where I'm going with this this morning. <clears throat> and when you think about exploration of God's nature and his, his creation, I always think of a kid. There are no better explorers than kids. You know, you, you can, it, it, we just had great grandkids at our house last week, a four-year-old, a two-year-old, and a one-year-old. They're about this tall. They're very low down. You talk about being on the down low, they're on the down low, and they find stuff under chairs. You thought that was taken care of, but it's growing stuff under there, right? <clears throat> when I was five, it was my first experience with fields. Boarding school, 6,000 feet up in the Nilgiri Hills of South India. Tea plantations, they look like this. The smell of tea on the bush is a delicate, scent that when I smell it today, and I rarely smell it today, but when you smell it, it takes me back 75 years. 
when I was 20, I started dating Ruth. I'm a city guy from Oakland, California. She's a country girl from not far from Fresno County in California. And she introduced me to her world, which were fields, orchards of peaches, vineyards of grapes, corn, alfalfa, and now the big crop in California is almond. 60 years later, I'm here in Colorado. I didn't know you had corn in Colorado. I just thought you had oil and mountains and stuff like that, and some cows and stuff. And here you have corn and wheat and sugar beets, which used to be a huge crop 100 years ago. This whole area was sugar beets and sheep 100 years ago. They had 20 sugar beet plants. This is just a factoid, just throwing it in here. 20 major processing plants back in 1920. Today they have one, and it's in Fort Morgan. And you have peaches on the other side of the hills and mountains. Fields, orchards, gardens. This is the story of mankind. So here's the creation sequence in, the, in Genesis. It's light, water, dry land, vegetation. And it reads like this in Genesis 1, 11 and 12. Then, Lord, then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. That's what he said. And that's what happened. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And here's the line, and God saw that it was good. I'd like to do a fun thing with you this morning. Just through my message, every once in a while, I'm going to say tagline. And let's, let's have the tagline be, and it was good. So when I say tagline, let's all say that. Whoa, whoa, you guys are on this thing. Wow. Holy cow. Okay, I'm going to say tagline. Well, let's get control of this. Let's, uh, on, the, on the count of three, I'll say tagline. Okay, one, two, three, tagline. And it was good. Oh, let's do that again. Tagline. And it was good. Okay, here's my first thought. You're going to get carried away here, and I'm going to have trouble getting a handle on this. God is the designer of life. He's the designer. He's the architect of life. I mean, he's the architect of out there in the fields and the orchards and the vineyards and all of that. And he's the architect of in here, in my brain and in my heart, in the way I think about life. And the key idea with all of that is that we are built to connect. We're built to connect with him. We have receptors to connect with him. We have receptors to connect with each other, but we also have receptors to connect with the planet. This was the eco-God before we knew that word. God was green before we knew it, okay? This is, this is the God who uses field language and pictures when he wants to talk about his provision for us. Listen to us in, in uh, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down, wait for it, in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. When he wants to talk about perspective of how we're supposed to be together and how we grow because we're connected to him, he, he uses field language. Psalm 103, the life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it is gone and its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. 
tagline, and it was good. When I look at some fields, sometimes it just takes your breath away, doesn't it? I mean, look at this, wildflowers, field of wildflowers. How about poppies? This is what they called rapeseed in Scotland. It's canola, sort of, it's a mustard family. Van Gogh yellow, if you will, okay? Sugar beets in Colorado. Tulips, clearly not in Holland, okay? I don't know where those tulips are. Wheat, corn, and almonds. So the question is, what brings life to a rose or a tomato plant? or a peach tree. I submit to you that life is in the soil. Life is in the soil. I wish I could have my friend Jason Struble here this morning. Uh, he's gonna be here, but not like here. He's gonna be on the screen. Some of you know Convoy of Hope. How many know Convoy of Hope, what that is? Because you're part of it, really, when we, when we give and so forth. Convoy is a partner and, and they're around the world helping disenfranchised, disadvantaged people, poor people, struggling folks a lot of times, disaster relief. So they have disaster relief as one of their missions. They have empowerment of women, oftentimes in developing nations who are single women, husbands left or died, small children, and they help them start businesses, educating of the, of the children. But one of their big pieces is agriculture. And they help farmers in a bunch of countries around the world do better at farming. So there's more productivity, food for the family, and all of that. And Jason Struble, PhD in soil sciences from Washington State University, is, um, is their big dog, if I can put it that way, when it comes to agriculture. And many of you listening to me online and in traditions and other places, you know about farming. You know about ranching. I know nothing about that. I mean, I like them, but I... I'm a city guy, right? And, but Jason, he is an evangelist for soil. I mean, he gets so cranked up about soil. It's just amazing to me. And so I just asked him, I said, Jason, I zoomed him this week. I said, Jason, tell us a little bit about soil. And this is what he said. So first we have to establish that dirt is under your fingernails. Soil feeds the world. And when we think about soil and what it means, and when I say it feeds the world, it really does. It is between its physics, its chemistry, its um, the physics, the chemistry, the microbiology, the ecology, how it was formed from the rocks that came from molten lava that then came up through the ocean floor, became the Rocky Mountains, and then eroded deep into the soil profile. Soil filters every drop of water that you've ever drank. The building that you're sitting in today was built on soil. Around the world, people's homes are still built with soil. Every plant, every piece of food that you have ever eaten got its nutrients from the soil. Every breath of CO2 that came from the plants was designed on purpose to then filter back up and go back in through microbes to be able to help us breathe and help us eat. When you even think about the aspects of every microbe was individually designed to help the whole system. And when something dies, whether it's a root of a plant or whether it's an animal on the side of the road and it goes back into the soil, 
all the micronutrients, all the microbes that are there, the billions and billions and billions of them break it down. They break it down so that plants have food. And that food, the nitrogen, the phosphorus, potassium, the zinc, the boron, all of that system, all of that system was uniquely designed by a creator who loves each and every one of us. And the purpose that was behind every nitrifying bacteria is the same purpose that he, that he put behind each one of us. I never thought I'd find myself in a sentence with the phrase nitrifying bacteria or whatever he said there. I didn't understand half of that that he said there, but I love it. I love his passion for what God has done, right? And the tagline would be, and it was good. So, when I think about that, I think about what Jesus says in the book. When he sees people, you and I, sees you and me as soil, our hearts, our minds. Listen to how he says it in Matthew 13. Then he told them, this crowd he was talking to, many things in parables, saying a farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up, and some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil, sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell, here it comes, on good soil, where it produced a crop, 160 or 30 times what was sown. And then he says, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. When I listen to Jason, who's a scientist who grew up in ranches and farms in western uh, Washington, I said, I'd, I'd like to talk to a farmer, like somebody who's in it every day too, right? And so I have a farmer friend that I met in 1969. His name's Lynn, Lynn Warfel, and he lives a few miles south of Champaign-Urbana, Illinois. It's about 150 miles south of Chicago, and they do corn and soybeans there. I met him in 69 when we were church planters near the University of Illinois, and um, Lynn had been born in the early 40s, and his dad went off to war. And in August of 44, his father, a captain in the army, was killed in Normandy two months after D-Day in a town called Saint-Lô. So he never really knew his dad in any uh, deep way, but I met him when he was 28, 29, and uh, he came to faith along the way, a deep commitment to Jesus. He was farming 500 acres at the time. Later on, he farmed 2,000 acres with his brother-in-law. Uh, but I love talking to him because he's not only like a top farmer. He was like voted one of the best farmers in his area some years ago. And uh, he was with the Farm Bureau. And, and he was a trustee at a major college, trustee of the year for all of the state of Illinois for <clears throat> college some years ago community leader, school board, all of that. But at heart, in his farming, he's a poet. And the president of the college where he was a trustee and the newspaper editor from the major newspaper there said, you need to put that in a book. And so in, 10 years ago, Lynn put it in a book. And it's called The Song of the Prairie. And if you like free verse, if you like good ideas. You can get this on Amazon. I don't get any money or anything, but you can, you can get this on Amazon. And my friend Lynn, this is how he talks about farming. I'm just gonna read you the opening piece of prose, and it'll be on the screen. It's called Rolling. Big tractor wheels taller than a man. 
carrying 300 horses back and forth, back and forth, tilling the soil, planting the crop. A lazy swirl of dust marks my way, soil seeking heaven, just like me, the way of earth, the way of man. Row after row, seeds of promise nestled into the waiting soil, dark, warm, moist, a trigger is kicked, life clicks, root down, spike up, seeking sun up and food down. Creation is a symphony, all parts singing a song. Here it is before us, the song of the prairie. There is something about that that when I see a crop, I need to be asking myself a question. This is the application part, right? When I see some wheat out here, some corn out here, when I'm driving around through <clears throat> Larimer or Weld County, how about if I ask myself the question, so both, this is me asking me, how's the soil in your heart? How's that coming along? What are you doing to put nutrients in that? How do you how do you do that? How do you put nutrients in that? Well, how about this? This is just some thoughts. What if I were to just take 10 minutes? Doesn't have to be a long time, just 10 minutes. Go sit on your back porch or out on the grass or take a walk or something. And don't talk to God. Or, unless you say, this is Harriet or whatever your name is. You know, you know me better than I know myself. And uh, I'm just going to be quiet and I'll listen maybe some thought will come. Even if a thought doesn't come, at least you were quiet for 10 minutes. You know? If you're an audio person, not a reading person, <clears throat> how about listening to his stories? You can get this in audiobook or some other application. Or you can read some of this. Or you can go to thebibleproject.com and there they distill each book down with animation. I love it because it's got a little cartoon-like character. It's good for me, right? Or how about this one? What if we, I mean, this is bringing nutrients, hopefully, to your heart soil. This, gathering together. But what if you just sat with one person and you just were with them, talked about whatever is on your heart? Because we nourish each other. That's how we're built to nourish each other. Here's the kicker. What, what if you did that without any devices in the room? Like, you know, put them out under the wheel of the car or something. You know, I, I like devices. I'm just, I was kidding about that. Okay. So we know this, that the growing process takes time and care. I'm in the third grade. I'm eight years old. I'm at Wild Rose Elementary School, Monrovia, California, suburb of L.A. back in the day in 1950. And we had a growing project in our class, and we were supposed to grow something. And I got some seeds for nasturtium flowers. I can't even spell that. And that's what they look like. And I, so I planted them. I put water, put it out on the deck. The sun was getting to it. Three or four days, nothing. I'm eight years old. I'm saying, hey. I go, I dig it up. Nothing. Plant it again, more water out in the sun. Three or four, five days go back, dig it up again. And nothing's happening apparently. I don't think I did well on the project because I'm not responsible for growing. I'm responsible for planting. And it takes time and care to do that. You can ask that of any teacher, any parent, any farmer, any rancher, any gardener. I have a gardener that lives at my house. 
Her name is Ruth. She's there. This was just this couple of days ago. I took it through the window of our kitchen area. She loves roses and lilacs. And I said, Ruth, I want you to help me with the message this, this uh, weekend. And she's going, no, I, you know, I'm not getting up there because this is not her medium, right? I said, give me some, tell me what you've learned in gardening. These are the things she said. First of all, Dick, it's elemental. When you put your hands in the soil, not the dirt, the soil, it connects you to God. This is what she said. She says, it's, um, you start to love the seasons because there's always things to do. I've learned how to deadhead roses this year. I'm just putting that out there, okay? If you deadhead them, then you might get a little more. That's what she tells me. I don't. I just do what she tells me. And you, you, you love to appreciate art, the intricate designs of flowers for her, the color, the shapes, the designs, the fragrance of them. You start to see God's generosity. And by the way, thank you. I talked about Convoy and how you're part of that. Thank you for your ongoing generosity and giving during these days through the kingdom, to the kingdom of God's timberline. But the, the generosity... She said, roses, and she just gave me these little factoids. You can have two petals on a rose, or you can have 40 petals on a rose, 150 different varieties of roses, thousands of hybrids. And then she said, of course, there are those plants you don't plant. They plant themselves. Some of you call them volunteers, self-seeding self plants. We have these little plants in our yard with all the roses she's cultivating. We've got little clumps of white and yellow and blue. She calls them Johnny Jump Ups. They're, they just grow and they multiply and so forth. So that's the, that's the upside of gardening. And she said, the downside is this thing called weeds. I said, tell me about weeds. And she just said, they hide. They sneak in there and they start sucking the life out of the soil so that that rose doesn't get it. And she said, and if you don't get it by the root, it'll come back. So I asked myself these questions of God. Where is the weed in my heart, in my mind? Where is that little thing, that hidden thing that over time chokes off the good things, that weakens me in the way I think about me or about God or about you? Where did that come from? Where are the weeds? Well, it could come from pride. It could come from hurt. Some incident in the past that's painful for me. It could be jealousy. It could be unresolved injustice. That wasn't fair back when I was 14 or whatever it is. But if, if, if that doesn't get weeded out, it'll suck my life out. I love it that the Holy Spirit is the best weeder in the world. After you listen for a while, sitting out there saying, you know, I really need some weeding, God. Come and I've tried to take that. I've tried to shut it out. I've tried to compartmentalize. But I need your spirit to just pull that thing out. Gardens are teaching places. Genesis, as N.T. Wright put it, my friend Brent Cunningham told me this morning, N.T. Wright said, this book starts with God with his fingers in the soil. It's called the Garden of Eden. And you get to the New Testament and you find him, this is creation, and you find him in the Garden of Gethsemane before the cross with Jesus, and it's recreation. So gardens are the metaphor for how God works in our lives. 
and here's the tagline, and it was good. So, fields are places of wonder. We're picking up speed, coming down toward the end here. Fields are places of wonder. So I asked my, I asked my friend Warfel, you know, the song of the prairie guy that I just showed you. I said, Warfel, tell me what it's like to be in the fields. Tell, tell me that every day. And this is what he said. I think it kind of starts with, wow. Um, at 82 now, I'm, I'm, I'm having more wow moments than ever. <laughs> but the wow moments really for me, farming, start with sunup, with the sunrise, and that's wow. It's uh, the way Kay describes wow is wonder of wonders, mm. wonder of wonders. And our sunrises are so impressive here on the prairie. Uh, it's wide open. And if you're out there in a field, you're seeing the sun coming up and the colors and the clouds and the majesty. It's just wonder of wonders. Mm. And going on through, what I'm praying for is, is a nice thunderstorm. And you remember the thunderstorms coming across oh. the prairie, cumulus clouds that, you know, just reach way out into space. I don't know, 20, 30,000 feet up in the air. And, and these storms are coming toward me. And me and the crops are both thirsty. And it's another wow moment when the raindrops start hitting me. I'm getting baptized all over again. So I work the rest of the day, and then I'm still working, and there's sunset. And oh, oh my, the sunsets are so awesome, so incredible. Uh, it's just another wow moment. When a farmer who sweats all day long, works half the night fixing combines or tractors, can say, I look forward every day to the wow that that's saying something about God's nature and our nature. Last thought, fields are a picture of the kingdom of God. Fields are a picture of the kingdom of God. Here's Jesus again, Matthew 13. He told them another parable. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, Yet when it grows, it's the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree. Mustard there is like fine pepper. And it's the smallest seed, but they get mustard bushes or trees. They can be this high, not like a little field, but that high. So that the birds come and perch in its branches. In Luke 12, he says, consider how the wildflowers grow. They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon the big king, and all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? So don't set your heart on what you'll eat or drink and not worry about it, for the pagan world runs after all such things, and your father knows that you need him. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. The language he uses goes on and on like, he says things like, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abides alone. Or he says, just before the cross, he, he calls himself a plant. He says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. And these people can see vineyards from where they're speaking. I'm the vine, you're the branches. That says to me, we're connected. We're part of the same operation here. Paul comes along and says, here's how life works. Some plant, some water, God gives the increase. And the tagline is, and it was good. I have two questions. One I've already asked. What can I learn of God from fields and orchards and gardens? Second question is, how can I approach the days, months, and years ahead 
with the idea of planting and harvesting or sowing and reaping as a lens through which I see the world. I'm the soil. I'm also the farmer. That's what this says, okay? I want to come back to Ruth for a minute. Ruth, my wife of almost 59 years, says that I say of her that she nurtured her family, extended family, four kids, 12 grandkids, three great-grands, like tending a garden, planning, planting, bringing nutrients, pulling weeds, paying attention. So we have these 12 grandkids from age 30 to age 6, and when they come to our house all together, which is rare, but when they come all together or individually in groups, what they want from grandma is big rounds in the morning. Those are like, for those of you who know pancakes, these are either Swedish pancakes or German pancakes or crepes, you know, very thin, and you roll them up and you put sugar and cinnamon in them or you put jam on them or you put, I can sense you're salivating as I'm talking. And, And they have competition about who can eat the most of these, and some of them use a fork, some of them fold them up and eat them like a burrito. I mean, it's crazy. And then every grandchild of those 12 got a handmade quilt, because she's a quilter. Quilting would just make me want to end it all, and she, (laughs) she, she's a quilter. She sits there, and I'm watching some action program on TV, and she's doing this, you know, and, and, and they, they pick the color, and they pick the pattern, and she makes a quilt for their bed, and they all have that. And every month, each of those 12 grandkids gets a letter, because this is not her deal, what I'm doing. She's a written word person, and she writes a letter, the same one to each grandchild every month, and it's got some uplifting thought, usually a corny joke, some riddle she got off the internet, which she tries out on me first, and a $5 bill, so they'll open the letter. So from the day they, and then from the day they were born, when she held them as a newborn until they graduate high school, every time she's with them, she makes notes. She comes back and she just goes on the computer and writes, this is Noah, this is Chloe, this is Cam, this is Jack, and so forth. And when they graduate high school, she goes online to Blurb and makes a hardback book, and it's the journal of 18 years with grandma. And it's the, see, that's what I call planting. This is Jack, graduated in 2019 in Boise, gonna be a senior at Azusa Pacific in Southern Cal and off to law school next year. Chloe, Windsor High School this year, off to Biola University in Southern Cal. And last week, because Ruth said all I ever wanted was children and grandchildren and who care for others, live productive lives, and follow Jesus. Last week, the whole clan was here for a gathering of the clan, and the, on one morning, the 12 grandchildren at, at a friend's home surprised her. It was put together with the help of aunts and dear friends, and they surprised her by each writing her a letter with a $5 bill in it. I'm hunting for that money. It's somewhere at my house. And a Hershey almond chocolate bar. That's her favorite kind of chocolate. And this is Ruth with the grandkids that she used to hold in her arms. That's what I call harvest. There is something about the God who takes the time 
to sow good seed and help me have good soil. And so here's, I'm done, okay? Kids are the great discoverers of nature and life and all of that. And if I were a kid again, if I were a 10-year-old, I'd love to be a 10-year-old again. You know, I don't want all stuff, in it, but there's something about 10. You're mobile, you got a bike or one of those electric scooters that goes like thunder now, and the girls aren't in the picture yet, all that stuff, right? And so I said to my friend, Jason Struble, I said, Jason, where did your love for the land begin? And he told me about when he was five with his grandpa in the cherry orchards in Western Washington. And I said, what would you say to a 10-year-old about nature and God? So just for two minutes, try to be a 10-year-old and listen to what Jason says. I'm with my grandpa and we're working on the orchard and it's time to go and put food in the soil. And so we go to the end of the dead end road, we go to the manure pile and it's snowing outside. And I think the manure pile is frozen and I jump and as a five-year-old kid, I am eyeball deep in manure. And my grandfather laughed and laughed and laughed and laughed. But it was at that moment that all the dots were connected on why we have this ability to, well, all the dots were connected on why soil is so important and why manure connects it. Because that's when grandpa told me and reminded me that God can take the worst mess, the stuff that is discarded from any animal or from us, and he doesn't waste a thing. And that we put that back in the soil and that will ultimately feed the world. If you're a 10 year old out there, this is what I would say. Look at the plants, look at the leaves, put your hands in the soil, smell it, taste it if you dare. Smell the dirt, smell the soil. As it will lead you to some magnificent creativity. And then open up God's book. Open up his words to us, the Bible, and read about Jesus. Read about the kings. Read about the heroes of the faith. And read about what Jesus did on the cross for you. Because that's the same God who created the soil, the trees, the ecosystem, the biosphere. And he loves you enough to be trusted. He loves you enough that he died for you. And when you turn 11, or even before you turn 11, jump in with both feet and trust God, because a life that obeys God will always, always reap a great harvest. A life, yeah. Life that obeys God will always reap a great harvest. I'm looking at soil here. I'm looking at places where the plantings of God are at work. I get the privilege of being soil, of bearing some kind of fruit, and also be a planter and Lord willing a harvester. And it isn't the harvest isn't consumable. It doesn't go away. This is the harvest that goes on forever. As we wrap our time up here, let's just pray together. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for the privilege of being here today. For the one who sits here or the many or the many online who say, I've made such a mess 
I planted in my history in the wrong places. I don't know what to do. Thank you that you are God of the messes that take the worst things that we have struggled with and can turn them inside out and use them for your glory. Lord, help us to understand that you're the one that does the growing. I just need to be available. So may my heart be rich soil. May my dreams be of planting and harvesting. May I know what it's like to see eternity touched, eternity changed for people because planting was done. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen.